Chapters 11 and 12 of Miss Ashton's New Pupil by Mrs. S. S. Robbins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Abigail Rasmussen in January 2012. Chapter 11 Visit of Cousin Abijah. One afternoon, when Marion's lessons had proved unusually difficult, her roommates noisy, and obstacles everywhere, it seemed to the diligent scholar, she answered a tap on her door to find Etta Lawrence, the girl who waited in the hall to announce visitors, with a face full of amusement. "'There's a man downstairs asking for you, Marion,' she said. "'He started to follow me upstairs, and when I showed him into the parlor and told him I would call you, he said, "'Tain't no odds. I can just as well go up. I ain't afraid of stairs no way.' I had hard work to make him go into the parlor, and I left him sitting on the edge of a chair, staring around as if he never had seen such a room before. Then Etta burst into a merry laugh, in which all the others but Marion joined. She stood still, looking from one of the girls to another, as if she couldn't imagine what it all meant. "'You must go down to the parlor,' said Dorothy, seeing her hesitation. "'It's someone from out west,' added Sue." "'Perhaps it's your father. Hurry, hurry,' said Gladys, thinking how she would hurry if her own father had been there. Thus encouraged, Marion, with heightened color and a rapidly beating heart, followed Etta down into the parlor, and there, still seated on the edge of his chair, twirling an old felt hat rapidly round between two big red hands, she saw a tall, lean man in a suit of coarse gray clothes. He had grisly iron-gray hair, stubby white whiskers, a pale blue eye, a brown face streaked with red. He sat a little nearer the front edge of his chair as she entered the room, and waited for her to speak. Evidently, he was not prepared for the kind of western girl he saw before him. "'Did you wish to see me?' looking inquiringly at him. "'Be you Marion Park?' "'Yes.' "'I am Abijah Jones, your cousin, three times removed. "'Your great-aunt Betty told me to come out here and make a call on you. "'She set on seeing you at Thanksgiving, "'and I guess you'd better humor her, "'for she took a spite at your father "'cause he wouldn't farm it and would have an education. "'But she allers kind of favored him more than the rest of us, "'and she has allers hankered after him. "'That's why I'm here.' "'I'm glad to see you, Cousin Abijah.' her western hospitality coming to her rescue. "'Tell me about my Aunt Betty. She is well, I hope?' Once launched upon the subject of Aunt Betty, between whom and himself there seemed to have been always a family war, he began to feel entirely at home in his strange surroundings, his voice rising to a pitch that resounded through the large room with a peculiar nasal twang Marion had never heard before. She saw one face after another make its appearance through the half-open door, and she knew very well this unusual visitor was giving a great deal of amusement to those who saw him. Accustomed to see rude characters at the West as she was, never before had Marion met one who seemed to her so utterly oblivious of all common proprieties. She felt sure that if he remained long, the whole school would be made aware of his peculiar presence and though she struggled hard not to be ashamed of him, and to make his call as pleasant as she could, she was much relieved when she saw Miss Ashton, who, hearing the strident voice, 
had come to ascertain its source. As a New England woman, she at once recognized the type. Marion could only introduce him as her cousin Abijah. Three times removed, put in cousin Abijah, without rising from his chair, only twirling his hat a little faster in Miss Ashton's stately presence. She held her hand out to him cordially, and when he put his great brown knotty fist within it, a dull red color came slowly into his seamed face. It was not from any want of self-respect, far from it. He would not have been abashed if Queen Victoria, with all her court in full dress, had entered the room. A real out-and-out country New Englander knows no peer the wide world over. Seating herself near him, Miss Ashton soon drew him into a pleasant conversation, to which Marion listened in much surprise. Even the man's voice dropped to a lower pitch, and what he said lost the asperity that had made it so disagreeable. After a few minutes, she proposed to him to show him around the building, where she was sure he would find much to interest him, and what was a very unusual thing for her to do, she went with him herself. A visitor of this kind was rare in the academy. She well knew the amusement he would create, and when they met, as they did often, groups of girls in the corridor, who stared and smiled at her uncouth companion, she silenced them by a look which they could not fail to understand. Kind Miss Ashton, Marion, as well as Cousin Abijah, will never forget it. Now, Marion, she said, when they returned to the parlor, I will excuse you from your next recitation, and you can take your cousin over to the neighboring city. There is a great deal for him to see there, and I will give you a note which will admit you to some of the large factories. You can go with him to the station and see him off in the cars. You will come home, I know, safely and punctually. Then, if Cousin Abijah had been the President of the United States, she would not have bidden him a more cordial good-bye. Marion, strengthened by Miss Ashton's kindness, invited her cousin before they left to visit her room. She took him through the long corridors, fully conscious that out of many doors curious eyes were peeping at them as they passed, and that smiles, sometimes giggles, followed them. Dorothy and Gladys were both there and made him pleasantly welcome. He did not admire the view from the window, as Marion expected, for he had had far finer mountain views around him all his life but he looked curiously at the bric-a-brac and pictures of which the room was full, and will carry home with him wonderful stories of the western girl's room. Then came the visit to Pomfret, the inspection of some of the finest mills and the pleasantest parts of the manufacturing city, and Marion bade this country cousin good-bye with the hearty hope that his visit had been a pleasant one. End of chapter 11 Chapter 12 THE TABLEAU Friday night, the work of the week being ended, was given to the young ladies as a holiday evening, which, within bounds, was entirely at their disposal. No study was required of them, and it was generally occupied by diversions of one kind and another, in which the whole school were at liberty to join. Sometimes it was a dance, the teachers enjoying it as heartily as their pupils. Sometimes it was a concert, and generally it was well worth hearing, for this academy was noted for its skilled musicians. Again, it would be a play. Even Antigone, not being too ambitious for these amateur actors, or 
tableau vivant, which never failed to be amusing. This night was one chosen by the Demosthenic Club for their secret meetings. As its members did not like to lose any of the social fun, these meetings were held so secretly that everyone in the building knew of their time and place, much to the annoyance of the club, and no one, so far, not even the club itself, was better informed of what was done and said there than Miss Ashton. It seemed to her a harmless sort of an affair. There was no difference in the scholarship of its members. The sessions were short, no mischief followed them, and if it made the girls contented and happy, it was all right. How she came to have this perfect understanding, it would be difficult to tell. Only she was found, in some unknown and mysterious way, to always have the reins in her own hands, no matter how restive the colts she had to control. The club had grown from the original number of seven to twelve, the new members having been chosen from among the brightest and most mischievous girls in school. This made Miss Ashton wonder at their uniformly quiet behavior, and increase the vigilance of her watch. About three weeks after the visit of Cousin Abijah, it was announced that a series of tableaux would be given on Friday evening, illustrating a poem written by Miss Kate Underwood. Kate's poetical abilities were well known and greatly admired by the school. Even the teachers gave her credit for a knack at humorous sketches rather unusual. She was to be, perhaps, a second John Sachs, possibly an Oliver Wendell Holmes, who could tell. The gift was worth cultivating, particularly as it did not interfere with Kate's soberer and more disciplinary studies. Miss Ashton did not think it necessary to see the poem. It was probably witty, if not wise, and wisdom need not intrude its grave face always into the freedom of the Friday nights. Indeed, she rather winked at the performance, as she and her associate principal were to be out of town on that night, and high fun in the hall served to keep the girls from any more serious mischief. All the club were pledged to the most profound secrecy as to what the tableau were to be, and, for a wonder, there were no revelations made, even to the dear intimate friend, who was not a member, and who generally shared the most profound secret— no matter from what source it emanated. After evening prayers, the hall was given to the club, and as every arrangement had been made previously for the decoration of the stage, the work was completed and the doors thrown open at an early hour. The hall was soon filled, and the buzz of expectation began long before the curtain was raised. When it was, it showed an interior of a farm kitchen of the olden times, Clothes bars had been skillfully placed so as to represent a low ceiling, and from them depended hams wrapped in brown paper coverings, sausages enclosed in cloth bags, herbs tied in bunches and labeled in large letters, sage, chamomile, fennel, dock, caraway. There were ears of corn, sweet, Indian, and pop, likewise labeled, tomatoes strung in rows to dry, and strings also of newly sliced apple. Under this motley ceiling, the room showed plainly it was the living room of the house. There was a large cooking stove that shone so you might have seen your face in it, a row of wash tubs leaning bottom side up against the wall, two wooden pails and three tin ones standing on a shelf over the tubs, and these in close proximity to the only window in the room. Just before this window 
was a small table with a Bible, a well-worn one, on it, and a pair of steel-bowed spectacles. One yellow wooden chair, and what was called a settle, near the stove, a large cooking-table, and one more chair made the furniture of the room. Before this table sat an old woman, dressed in a black petticoat and a red short gown that came a little below her waist. She wore a cap that fitted close to her head, made of some black cloth, innocent of bow or frill. From under it, locks of grey hung down about her face and neck. She had a swarthy skin, two small eyes, hidden by a large pair of glasses, a mouth that kept in motion in spite of the necessity of stillness which a tableau is supposed to demand, as if she were reading the letter she held in her hand aloud. The laugh and clapping which this scene called forth had hardly subsided when, from behind a hidden corner of the stage, a sweet, clear voice began to read the descriptive poem. "'It's Kate Underwood herself,' was whispered from seat to seat. "'There's no other girl in school that can read as well as she can.' The poem gave a brief description of the kitchen as it appeared on the stage, then a more lengthy one of the old woman with the contents of the letter she was reading. It was from a niece at a boarding school, who proposed in a brief and direct way to visit this aunt during her coming vacation. The tableau was acted so well, and with such piquancy, that claps and peals of laughter from the audience, and finally calls for Kate Underwood, who demurely makes her appearance from behind the curtain, drops a stage curtsy, and disappears. The poem had been, this audience constituting the judges, excellent, the very best thing Kate ever wrote, and as for the tableau, were there ever any before one half so good? Now, while to almost all in the hall there had been nothing said or done that could injure the feelings of any one, to Marion Park it seemed an unkind take-off of her cousin during his recent visit to her. Something in the tall, gaunt girl, in her rough, coarse dress, in the grotesque awkwardness of her movements, reminded Marion of Cousin Abijah, and while she had laughed with the others, and had refused to allow her feelings to be hurt, she left the hall uncomfortable and unhappy, wishing he had never come, or that all the school had shown the kind consideration of Miss Ashton. Nor was she helped in the least, when she heard Susan telling in great glee how the whole plan had come to them after the visit of that uncouth old cousin of Marion Park. End of chapter 12